Hello and welcome to The Rundown, a new podcast from Politics Home. I'm your host, Alan Tolhurst. We've now reached the final stage in the race to replace Boris Johnson, with Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss battling it out to be the next Prime Minister. I'm joined by our political reporter, Eleanor Langford, and former Welsh Secretary Simon Hart, who's backing Sunak, and the Tory MP for Buckingham, Greg Smith, who's a Trust supporter, to discuss how the crucial final few weeks of the Tory leadership contest look set to shape up. But firstly, before we kind of get on to where we are now, let's have a little rewind, essentially, Ellie. Two weeks ago, as we did this, we were just about to wait for Boris Johnson to make his statement outside Downing Street, announcing that he was going to step down as Conservative Party leader and therefore as, as Prime Minister over the summer. You know, how things have progressed in those two weeks? We had, I think, 11 candidates. We're now down to two. How do we get to this point now? Well, it was a bit of a mad scramble. Obviously, no one was fully expecting there to be a leadership race a month ago. And so, yes, we had quite a broad range of candidates when it first went out. A lot of campaigns, which seemed quite last minute, a lot of people thought, oh, well, now's my chance to throw my hat into the ring. Mm -hmm. Raymond Chisney, for example. Raymond Chisney, who we had on our podcast last week and uh, made his bid. Unfortunately, unsuccessful. Great loss. Yeah, and over the weeks, we've had various votes and one by one, people have been knocked out. So most recently, um, we had Penny Morden yesterday, Kim Badnock got knocked out and Tom Tugendhat, and they were like the final five. They were the ones that did the debates over the weekend. I'm sure a lot of listeners saw those on Channel 4 and ITV. And yes, the final round was on Wednesday final votes and uh, Liz Truss just managed to scrape back through going from third place back into yeah, second. Yeah, she leapfrogged Penny Morden. How do you think that she managed to do that? Obviously, she'd been quite far behind us, sort of 17 votes behind. She'd sort of closed the gap to six after Tuesday's vote. Then she ended up sort of leapfrogging. How did she manage to do that? Yeah, she got a lot of last minute momentum. She was falling behind at the start. And this was actually put to me by a Truss supporter yesterday. And I completely agree that a lot of people were shopping around. They were mm. looking at all the different candidates. They were seeing what the options were and um, were maybe looking for something a little bit different. And ultimately, candidates dropped out and they reconsidered their positions. And when it came down to it, I think a lot of people, their second or third choice was was trust. Yeah. You know, like while they may have thought it might be fun to go for Kim Badnock once she was gone, they had to pick an option and that option was Liz Truss. So she really picked up a lot of those leftover votes from the candidates that got knocked out earlier. Yeah. And Penny Morden didn't really do the same. She kind of had a good lead at the start. She did really well in the first few rounds of voting and then kind of fell off as things went on. Whereas trust just went up and up and up yeah. and that's how she leapfrogged her. It's interesting because we, like I said, we had this broad range of candidates and in the end we've ended up with the two probably most famous, most well-known of the two, and actually the, the two, you know, former Chancellor and the current Foreign Secretary, and the kind of this talk about insurgent candidates taking, you know, Tom Tugan out as old momentum, Penny Morden, Kenny Badnock. In the end, we have ended up with these two candidates that perhaps if we'd have talked about a race maybe a year ago, these are the two we perhaps would have expected to get down to those final two. Yeah, and I think it's interesting how the ones that did eventually get there, like you say, are the ones that we know we've been planning for a long time. We right. know that these leadership bids have been in the works for a while. Yep. There are suggestions that Richard Sunak had you know, registered his website months ago. Yep. We've heard rumours of fizz with Liz for, for a very long time. Indeed. So they were very much raring and ready to go. And they kept that momentum up throughout because they yep. knew that they couldn't be complacent. And I think some of the other candidates, particularly Penny Mordaunt, saw their lead and perhaps got a little complacent with the lead that they were having and yeah. let some of that momentum slide. And, you know, it's true that a week's a long time in politics. I think a day's a long time in politics at yeah, the indeed. moment. So, you Certainly know... Certainly for Penny it was, yeah. Yes, yeah. So as soon as you start letting it slip, people who hadn't declared, who were just, you know, voting behind the scenes were, were, were changing their votes. And ultimately, 
it let these smaller candidates slip through and we got the two candidates we expected. Yeah. And obviously the, the one who, who was leapt out in front to be the front runner and ended up being the, the MP with the most nominations was, was Rishi Sunak. What's kind of his pitch, Simon? Obviously he's kind of talked, tax cuts have been a big kind of issue at the moment. He's sort of talked about fiscal responsibility. What's kind of his pitch now to the members, do you think? I think it's more of the same. I think it's uh, the plan is to be as positive as possible. This isn't a uh, an opportunity to sort of slag each other off. I think that's absolutely right. Um, he's got a lot to offer. He feels and and we feel that he's the right captain for the playing conditions that we're in, mm. that we can start straight away, that he's got, he's already proven himself at the highest possible level over a long period of time. And anybody who thinks back to the pandemic, who thought that furlough could never be done or business interruption loans could never be done, the Treasury could never move that fast, we could never react in time to make a substantial difference. All of those things have been disproved by Rishi. I think, and I think the other key thing absolutely for me, especially representing a Welsh seat, is that if I had to choose somebody who could win up against, for example, Plaid Cymru in Wales or against the Lib Dems in the South West or in a London seat or indeed in a, in a northern marginal against Labour, I think the one person who's got the greatest chance of being able to do that and therefore win as many seats as possible in 2024 of the election is, is Rishi. And that's not, a, that's not a derogatory comment about this trust. I think Rishi is better placed at the right time to be able to do that and be fiscally responsible at the same time. Do you think that's kind of a concession, though, that at the moment he is behind the polling with the members? Actually, like that's going to be his pitch, is that actually you may prefer Liz Truss and her policies, but actually you want to back someone who's likely to win an election. That's, is that what he's going to spend I, I, the next couple of weeks I trying mean, to do? <laughs> this won't be the first time two politicians sit here and we will always say that the polls which are in our favour are the ones we should listen to and the ones which aren't should be dismissed as, a, yeah. as, a, as an outlier. But I, I do genuinely think we're at the beginning of a process, not the end of a process, an awful lot can change in the next three or four weeks as the hustings unfold, the televised debates, members will get to know these two candidates in a way that they perhaps don't already and that will mean that whatever we end up with will not be what the polls are saying today. That's for sure. Could be better, could be worse, but that's for sure things will change. But the question I think every Every MP will be asking, I think every member and every activist is, who is the person best placed to retain this seat or to win this yeah. seat up against whichever the opposition happens to be in that area in 2024? For me, that is the question which matters more than anything else, because it's dependent, obviously, on a, on a sound sort of economic proposal. That's what will win it. But uh, we think, you know, emphatically uh, that Rishi's in the right place to be able to do that. Greg, I can't imagine you probably agree there. What, what's your sort of feeling of, of what Liz Truss's pitch was? Obviously, uh, Rishi Sinek's written an article in The Telegraph saying that he's the he's the real heir to Thatcher. But there's been a lot of suggestions that actually Truss is the sort of more closely kind of Thatcherite candidate and with her plans to sort of cut taxes. Is that what kind of drew you to, to eventually backing her? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a free marketeer. I'm a small state tax cutting conservative and her message has been much more clear in that direction. I, I think to Simon's point, I think both candidates could win a general election. We're all part of the same conservative family. Whoever wins, the party will unite around them. And I think after the last few years, where politics has largely been reactionary, we're either reacting to the pandemic, we're either reacting to the result of the referendum, you know, how is Brexit done? Or indeed, going back to before the 2019 general election, could it be done at all? Because we were in such deadlock that we've got to a point in the party where a decision's got to be made about what actual direction 
do we go in? Do we stop reacting to events and start putting a bit of a philosophical underpinning in all that we do? And Rishi clearly has the underpinning that Simon has, has outlined that's a perfectly legitimate and reasonable one. But I, I prefer to go back towards what some might call the Thatcherite route, but actually I think it's much broader than that. It's that classical liberal economics, the belief in a, a smaller state that if you keep more money in people's pockets, if you take the burden off businesses, then the economy will grow and we'll be more prosperous, not just to leap from a policy position to a policy position, but actually have that set of values and principles that I think Liz is is steering us back towards. It's interesting. Do you think that's, that is going to be the key dividing line? There was lots of talk in the debates when there was a broader number of candidates about other sort of cultural and social issues, but it does feel as though when it comes down to Trust and Sunak that the economy is going to be the big dividing line. Do you think that's where it's going to be won or lost between the two of them? I think that's where members' minds are. You can never take Brexit out of the debate at the moment. I think there's still a lot to be done on that. Clearly, we've still got to fix the issues with the protocol. Actually, I was in Gibraltar a couple of weeks ago with the European Scrutiny Committee, and there's a lot less coverage at the moment of the other big negotiation going on between the UK government, Gibraltar government, Spanish government and the European Union around the border between Gibraltar and Spain that that could yet prove very problematic that needs to be fixed. So Brexit still is a thing within this debate. And we know that the the party membership at large is much more Brexit-y than Remain-y. We've left the European Union and and, and moved on from that fundamental debate. But it it will play a huge part. And I think Liz is the one that has piloted the protocol bill through Parliament. It passed its third reading yesterday and is off to the House of Lords now, you know, that is still going to be playing on the minds of members up and down the yeah. country. But speaking of Brexit, obviously, Liz Truss, it's interesting that in this debate, Liz Truss is the person who voted Remain mm-hmm. back in 2016, mm-hmm. and, and Richard Sunak was the one who's coming for Brexit, but he's seen as the sort of less strong on Brexit. Simon, do you think that he's got a real job to do to try and win people over and say that actually he is strong on Brexit and actually that he he's not the flame's going to be kept going when, with him in I, charge? I, th- I think I think Greg, Greg made a very good point on the, on the tax front, and I think... People might be surprised exactly how uh, similar in a way I am in that regard as far as sort of a small state low tax. And I it, I don't think it's the case if you've got one candidate who thinks that's a good idea and one who thinks it's a bad idea. Yeah. I think you've got two who both think it's a good idea. They're fundamentally conservative. But they've got a slightly different idea about how you actually get to that stage without triggering an even greater sort of volatility around inflation. So it's that's the dividing line. It's not it's not as clear cut, I don't think, as uh, some people have commented. Right. Uh, and also, just it is just worth remember, you know, both Rishi and Liz, myself, Boris Johnson and others, have all sat around the same table for the last two and a half years, and you could not put a, a cigarette paper, as they used to say, between us in terms of our you know, economic policy. Yeah, and that's, collective that's, responsibility. That's right? important. Collective responsibility. So again, I, I would hate people to think that there's been this sort of tussle, this wrestling match of last year. But, uh, but over, Liz, Liz Truss has been quite every, keen to say that, you know, every, she, she, she didn't back these things, but obviously she did sign off on them because she didn't resign from well, Cabinet, right? So she, she must have Well, indeed, I mean, them, right? we were all in the same room at the same time, having the same discussion and we all reached the same conclusion without the need for a vote or a show of hands. Yeah, yeah. And so, and that is just a matter of record. That's yeah. not a matter of sort of spin. And, and uh, of course, this uh, next stage of the campaign is going to be about is uh, me as a sort of representative of, uh, of Rishi, being him being able to just remind people uh, that he is a huge believer in the sort of SME engine driving the economy and the tax regime which needs to support that and support families as we go. And the idea of keeping money in your pocket rather than the state hoarding as much of it or confiscating as much of it absolutely fundamentally lying at the heart of what uh, Rishi would like to do but there is a timing issue mm. and that's a very very 
subtle judgment and uh, way above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> and Greg, do you think that Tory members are going to see that subtle judgment? Or because Liz Truss talked about having those tax cuts straight away. Interesting, this morning she sort of suggested in her interview on the Today programme that you could cut taxes and decrease inflation. And she was questioned on that. It's It's got to be a, a massive issue that, you know, we're talking about taxation and and economic policy and small state. But actually, the cost of living is a huge problem for a lot of people at the moment. Do you think that there's been enough discussion about how people would fix the cost of living? And you can't just say, oh, I would cut taxes to improve the cost of living. There's got to be more than that, right, from the candidates. There does have to be more than that. But tax is a huge role in it, because at the end of the day, tax is about the only lever that government has at its disposal to pull. And I do believe that actually by reducing the burden of taxation can tame inflation. I'll give you a very clear example of that. I've been doing a lot with the road haulage sector. Yep. You know, they've seen HGVs, you know, three thousand pounds a week per HGV more on fuel than in just January. That is absolutely pushing inflation through the roof because you know, moving goods around, moving fuel around in the first place, if it's costing more to get it there, then that is a key driver to inflation. You know, I, I chair the, the, the All-Party Parliamentary Group on, on road haulage and logistics, and we've just published a report uh, calling for a 15p uh, essential user rebate on fuel for the haulage sector. And that would be a clear way to get costs down that will start to tame inflation. And that, that's a key area where I think a tax cut would bring enormous benefit, not just to the businesses that are moving the stuff around, mm. but the end user when they go to the shops to buy their goods or, or to the forecourt to buy their fuel. So like, this is a very legitimate debate that we need to come to a conclusion on. Yeah, it's interesting. You've got to remember, that obviously, that this is not necessarily a contest where the public get a say. It's just the Conservative members. Ellie, we're now down to the final two that go into this runoff. We'll know by 5th September who they've chosen. Let's just talk about sort of the polling that we've seen so far. There's been lots of talk about head-to-head polling and who would win. And lots of the candidates have been saying, well, well, I'm I'm the candidate who can win with the members and that sort of stuff. What have you kind of seen in that polling from places like Conservative Home and and, and YouGov? Yeah, so the polling at the moment is suggesting that Liz Truss would win in a runoff against Rishi Sunak. And that's the kind of suggestion that I've had from a lot of the MPs I've spoken to, actually, is that their impression of their members in their constituencies is that they would probably prefer trust to to Rishi. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it does come back to tax, as we've already discussed. You know, a lot of people are unhappy with Rishi Sunak's tax rises. They don't think it's very conservative. And they see Liz Truss as more of a tax cutter and more of a traditional conservative in that sense. And so they're they're going behind her. And the polling has been reflecting that. You've got six weeks of hustings. It might change minds, but having looked at previous races, it probably won't make a huge difference. Mm. So I think when it comes down to it, it could get quite close. In previous races, there's been a very clear cut front runner. Yeah. But in this one, I think it is a lot more to play for yeah. than obviously Andrew Ledson dropped out in the Theresa May race, but Boris Johnson was way ahead of Jeremy Hunt by this point and it's much, much closer now. So yeah. it could go either way. Do you think, you know, the postal ballots will go out and probably next week on the 1st of August. So do you think Sunak's got to use this period now before a lot of members will probably get their ballots and tick a box and send it back straight away? Very diligent, your, your party members. <laughs> but, you know, do you think that he's got to use this period now, this sort of week or so before people get a chance to make their mind up to try and sort of change... I mean, unquestionably, we have to use every minute of every day to make the arguments uh, as powerfully as we can to as many people as we can, as reasonably as we can. And I don't think that, whether that's one week or two weeks or six weeks, uh, that would be perfectly normal. Where I'm slightly baffled, I think, by some of the polling is that in... I can't remember how many 
leadership elections I've lived through. It seems like hundreds, but it, but it isn't. I'm actually always struck by how many of our members, one of the first things they do is they go to the local MP, their, their MP, and say, what do you reckon? You know, we don't know these guys particularly well. What do you think? What do you think? And so I think that actually that, you know, a con home sort of self-selecting online poll is all very well. But I think this is quite an early. I'm not trying to necessarily sort of uh, sweep away the notion that uh, that all polling is wrong. But I'm just trying to say I think there will be a lot of consultation. I think people are genuinely interested in what the offer is or want to hear from the candidates before they necessarily sign the piece of paper and send it in on day one. And I'm already getting members in my patch in West Wales who's saying, well, we want to we want to follow this debate quite carefully before they cast their vote. So uh, you're right. I think there is a potential for significant uh, shift. And also, you never forget the membership of the party is not to distributed evenly over the whole of the UK. There are concentrations in certain areas. And, you know, it's ever, whoever controls the data probably wins the race in terms of actually understanding how that data actually works. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about members wanting to go to their, you know, MPs and kind of get that maybe personal recommendation or everything. Do you get an impression that members are maybe more undecided this time around than they have been in like, previous races? Uh, you're right to make the earlier assessment that this is going to be about uh, some quite technical issues around tax. I think there's going to be quite a lot of it. Uh, you know, they know, despite what we're saying, they know Rishi from the point of his very high-profile role in the Treasury, handing the money out, which would seem to go down with sort of universe, universally popular with everybody. And of course, now that there is a rebalancing exercise at play, <laughs> not quite yeah. so straightforward as it was back then. But they know this person. They know him a bit. Probably don't know Liz quite so well. I don't know. Foreign secretaries don't always necessarily aren't always front of centre of people's mind as much as chancellors are. So I think there will be a getting-to-know-you period. As I say, we're hoping, and we think that people will be, I think, reassured by the next stage of the process, and uh, we'll be able to, I think, reach a conclusion, want to reach a conclusion on the basis of evidence before, as I say, I think they're necessarily just fill in the form and so whack it in on day one. It's essentially you're, you're, you're both being quite sort of collegiate and, and agreeing with each other. You're in fact wearing the same, exact same shirt as well for the listeners at home. It wasn't very, pre-arranged. Yeah, which is very, which is very strange. But unfortunately, the, the, the race so far has not been quite as temperate as, as, as you two have been. There was quite some real kind of like dividing lines and kind of more tension, I think, in the TV debates than I've seen in debates between different parties. It did seem as though there was quite a lot of blue on blue attacks. And there was a lot of discussion about whether that was the reason that the third plan debate was pulled. Because, you know, you, you saw Prime Minister's questions yesterday. Keir Starmer simply just repeated back things that the candidates have said to each other, these sort of attack lines. You know, is there a fear that now that it is trust against Sunak that we're going to have a lot more of this kind of blue-on-blue attacks and effectively you're sort of writing Labour's campaign material for them? Look, I think every political party is a is a broad church. We're a broad church. The Labour Party is you know, a vast uh, spectrum of political belief. And over the summer, we've got to have the legitimate debate about the battle of ideas. Yeah. What brand of conservatism is the next couple of years about in the run-up to the general election? That's a legitimate debate to have. But we are one family at the end of it. And the most important thing on the 5th of September at half past 12 or whatever time it is, we've all got to come together. Yeah. And if it's Rishi, I'll be absolutely behind him. Obviously, I hope it's Liz. And I'm sure Rishi's supporters will be absolutely behind her if she is the Prime Minister and the leader of our party. Mm. At that point, we do have to avoid, though, this this public 
bloodletting. I thought the ITV debate in particular, the very way that that was set up, yes. you know, encouraging the candidates to, to, to take a, a chunk out of each other yeah. uh, from their rostrums, was probably not the best way to bring out that battle of ideas. I agree with that. I think that, but people must forget we are in the business of arguing. That's what we do as yeah. politicians. We want to stress test every possible idea to make sure that we really explored every possible upside and downside. And I don't think anybody should feel that that's a, that's not an unedifying process. It's an important process. But I, I was talking to a, a friend of mine as I walked down here this morning, who was making exactly the point that Greg just made. Was like, we want to hear what your guys stand for. We yeah. want to hear their positive plans for the country. How they're going to reunite everybody in a common cause. We do not necessarily want to know what they hate about each other. Yeah. I think that's an important message from a you know random you know member I happen to know. Who do you feels- think that's the fear that you know whoever wins is going to have to put the party back together again? You know, there's been lots of dividing lines over the over the years. Brexit, for example. You know, do you think that there's an issue now that you know whoever takes over, if the battle does get quite sort of fierce, that it's going to be very difficult to put well, put it back together I, I, again? I, well, I think we are witnessing Keir Starmer's attempt to unite. You know. Corbynites with Blairites, a mission that he's some way off having successfully completed, I would argue. And absolutely, and one of the reasons, and and again, I don't want to <laughs> contradict what I've just said, one of the reasons I'm supporting Rishi is I think that his uh, his persona, the way he does business, the way he does politics, I think puts him in a very good position to be able to reunite different parts of the party, people who've held very passionate views on a number of things, but will want, to, as Greg says, to get behind the new leader. I think he has a really good chance. The best chance, in my view, of being the person capable of doing that, bearing in mind the very sort of disparate nature of the party, very disparate nature of the electorate. And as I referred earlier on to, you know, fierce Lib Dem conservative battles in the southwest, you know, nationalists in Scotland, Ply Cymru in Wales, you know, Liberal Democrats in mid Wales, you've got a whole hodgepodge of different pressures in London. And you know, there's a lot of people who could do one or other of those. I don't think there's many who can do all of it. And I think Rishi's for me, far more likely to be able to unite all of those interests than than anybody else on the on the panel. So, Greg, you sort of so went slightly there. What do you, 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 <laughs> what's your riposte to that? Do you think why do you think that Trust is the person who can? You've got quite an interesting electoral coalition after the 2019 election. Mm. You know, it's a very different coalition that you've had previously. You know, it's it's going to be very difficult for anyone who takes over to hold those two sides together, as we've seen in recent by-elections. You've lost to Labour in, in the North and Lib Dems in, in the South. You know, why do you think Liz Truss is the best person to, to keep that coalition together? There's the start point. I do think both candidates can unite the party. I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna somehow pretend that only my candidate can yeah. unite the party. That that just isn't the case. There are loads of colleagues that c- could have done that. But I think where Liz is coming from, that that free market, low tax base, it's it's where the bulk of the Conservative Party, certainly the membership, is. Not necessarily the parliamentary party, but where the bulk of the membership is at the moment. And I think that will be if she can come in on day one and reverse the national insurance increase, which you know a lot of us were uncomfortable about. You know, I voted for it. I didn't feel particularly comfortable voting for it, to be honest, but you know, accepted, you know, that's what the, the government had decided. And, you know, there was a pressing case around the NHS backlogs and to fix social care. But I think if there is another way that you can do it, that is something that will be incredibly popular, both in the country, amongst the membership, and settling some nerves within the parliamentary party about this point of having the highest tax burden in 70 years. You know, that does weigh heavily on a lot of us, I think. And, and, and that way, Liz can come through and, and really plant the flag and say, right, this is the direction we're going in. 
It's interesting. We've ended up with two candidates. Like I said, you've got lots of cabinet experience. There's suggested that Truss is more sort of like the sort of continuity Johnson candidate. She would obviously reject that. But Ellie, obviously, we had other candidates in the race who perhaps weren't as well known, like Tom Tuganat and, and, and Penny Morden. And there were suggestions from those candidates that Labour would have feared them a lot more. You know, do you think that perhaps you know Tory MPs have apologies to you that shot, them, shot themselves in the foot a little bit by choosing candidates who are not as popular if you look at their ratings their wider sort of popularity ratings they're much lower than perhaps someone like a Penny Morden or a Tom Tugan who actually seem to appeal perhaps to a broader consensus we talk about the first part of the race is to win over MPs the second part is to win the Tory members but actually the sort of unspoken third bit is to then go on and win an election in 2024. Yeah those three steps all require very different things which yeah. is why you kind of have this challenge because Richie Sunak was popular because of furlough. He gave everyone money, so everyone liked yeah. it. Eat out to help out. As Eat well. out to help pictures out. Pictures of him everywhere. Yeah, remember that him and Wagamamas. Yeah, yeah indeed. Um, so yeah, he, he had a popularity because of that. But then that, maybe that popularity has fallen away a bit because of the controversies over his tax affairs, got fined, and also you know the Nash insurance rise and the like. I think the, the issue comes down to when you have people like Tom Tugendhat and Penny Morden, they are unproven. Yeah. You know, Penny Morden had obviously been a minister. Tom Tugendhat has never been a minister. No. And while, particularly in the first Channel 4 debate, he did best in the polls. He was, you know, very charming and I think appealed to the broader public. And I could imagine if you put him up on a stage in an election, he could probably do quite well. But is he good on policy? You know, he didn't really have as many sound economic policies as some of the other candidates. Yeah. And I think Morden struggled in the, in the debates as well. She had yeah. quite a defensive strategy, I think, once she got out into sort of second place and then in the end that kind of cost her a bit. Yeah, and she didn't seem as strong on, on the details. She didn't seem to sort of cut through with strong ideas. It was a lot, like you say, a lot more of a defensive strategy. And I think that's maybe where Kenny Badnock tripped up a little bit is that a, a, while she had some very strong ideas, during the debates, it was a lot more about criticising the other candidates. A lot more of that came through. Yeah. And it was less about, here is my personal pitch and here is my strong economic policies that I'm putting forward. The MPs, they are, you know, I think much more down on, on the policy and the nitty-gritty. The party, it's more kind of like a broader view of conservatism. And the public, who knows? And it's very hard to pick a candidate that will appeal to the three of those. And I think at yeah. every stage... So far, the MPs and the members will have to make a decision of which do they want and, you know, which is more important to them. Is it winning the elections? Is it the conservatism? It's a very difficult balance and there's no right formula for it. No, no. And obviously, Boris Johnson managed to do all three. Last time around, he was massively popular with the MPs. He won with the members and in the end won a big election. Do you think that either of your candidates is going to be able to win an 80-seat majority or do you think that actually fundamentally post-COVID with the cost of living crisis, actually things have, have changed and it's about a different strategy going forward? Yes, I think Liz can win, win a big majority. I think, as I said earlier, Rishi can win a, a general election too. But we've got at least two years, I think, before we go to the polls. The economy is going to be central to that which candidate can actually bring about the economic growth, give people the security that they've got enough money in their bank account to pay the mortgage or the rent or the food bills or the energy bills, the fuel bills, etc. And to my opinion, you know, if we have given people that confidence again, we've got them through the cost of living crisis as well as dealing with, you know, hopefully having defeated Putin by that point and got him out of Ukraine, uh, if we've solved the remaining issues around Brexit, I think the country can have a positive outlook and absolutely go into a general election confident about voting Conservative. Because every election, if we think back, has always been in 
really, really starkly different circumstances. Mm. 20, 2019 was a Brexit election. 2017 was on the back of that uh, early call yeah. by Theresa May, also heavily influenced. So I don't think there will be anything different about next. It will be the, the outcome will be assessed on the basis of uh, economic circumstances at the time and the hope that we're able to um, instill in voters minds. And as Greg said, you know, we've, we've really we've had five or six or 11, however many it was, actually great candidates in their own uh, particular way. I think experience and resilience happens to be an important fact. You know, we go, this person is going to have to start in September in very, very challenging conditions. They're going to have quite an entry, aren't they? Very, very challenging conditions. So somebody uh, who's, uh, as I say, proven to be able to play at the highest possible standards, it's a really important part of this. But the election will be based on, as I say, circumstances at the time and our ability to articulate a vision for the future, just as it has always been the case. And and what might have worked in 19 or 17 or 15 or 2010, all the elections that we've done, will be fundamentally different in 2024. But it's still winnable, very much so. It'll be a different style, different set of circumstances, a different offer, but I think one that uh, we can actually be quite confident mm. about. There was talk about maybe curtailing this contest and having it just, you know, only take a couple of weeks, maybe not go to the members, because you obviously you know, you've got a prime minister at the moment who's just sort of a caretaker and you can't take big decisions. But you actually think it's quite important that it does go to the members for this long period. And actually that, you know, the candidates are quite similar, but in the end it is a bit of a, a decision about the future of the Conservative Party. Like you say, the 2019, the contest was, and 2016 were both about Brexit, really. And the members didn't get a vote in 2016. So 2005 was really the last time that the members perhaps had a decision about the future of the party. So, you know, although it is going to take a while and, you know, there is this sort of caretaker PM at the moment, do you think it's important that the members do have a long time to assess the two candidates? It is very important. But I also think it's really important that all of us, as members as well as MPs, remember that we are appointing somebody to the most important task in this country at an unbelievably highly pressurised time. This is not a moment to take risks or gambles or to speculate or to chance our arm. We have to get this right. We really do have to get it right. So I'm just hoping that everybody really buys into the process from here on in and literally leaves it. I'd rather they left it to the last day to send their ballot paper in rather than did it on the first day because I think that the, the maximum amount of time to see exactly what these people stand for is a really important part of it. I, I think it's absolutely vital that the members have their, their say in this. You know, I got into Parliament in 2019, so back in 2016, I, I was, well, I was a councillor at the time, but the membership felt really sore that they were robbed of their voice yeah. in 2016. And you know, in, in many ways, these are the men and women who go out and trample the streets for us at election times, yeah, year in, leaflets, year out, you, right? you know, often in pouring rain. You know, we put them through a winter election <laughs> in, in 2019. Yeah, don't, don't do that. Don't do that again. Uh, then, you know, when we're not in election time, you know, we ask them to go to you know, functions and part with their money to fund all the campaigning we do and go through endless raffles. And there's got to be something in return for them. And selecting their parliamentary candidates is clearly a key part of that. But choosing who the leader of the party is, the direction of the party, is absolutely critical. Otherwise, there's kind of a question to ask. What's the point of being you know, active in a political party being part of a, a wider movement yeah. and so you know, if the membership had been robbed of, of that that voice I think it, it would have been a pretty bad day mm. uh, for democracy but Simon's absolutely right that they are equally choosing a prime minister yeah. this isn't like the 2001 or 2005 leadership elections where members were choosing a leader of the opposition to sort of serve an apprenticeship and, and try and build us back to government this is a direct choice 
of picking a prime minister. Mm. Uh, and whilst there is that choice, as I alluded to at the start, of you know what what brand of conservatism, what bit of the big tent are we going to pick to lead us through the next couple of years? But but there is that 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 point of experience. And yes, Rishi has been high profile through the the pandemic through the treasury but so is liz you know ha- having many secretary of state roles uh, over three distinct governments now she was, she was defra secretary she was justice secretary she was chief secretary to the treasury she was international trade secretary foreign secretary actually she's got a really broad experience across many government departments uh, and that's just at secretary of state level and i think you know she she is a choice that can really bring the party together you know with drawing from all sorts of different angles of government that she's going to need to make decisions on. yeah it's interesting i think if you look back i don't think anyone's been made prime minister having not been in one of the great offices of state or leader of the opposition before. Like, it does feel as though eventually when it comes to choosing a leader of the opposition, you can choose a bit of a wild card, but a prime minister is, should, is a bit... Is a do bit you know what, having, having sat in, in, in government for three years and, and in, in the cabinet for two and a half days, I can absolutely tell you without any shred of if I ever thought there was an opportunity you could do this without that sort of apprenticeship, as Greg describes it, absolutely not. I mean, it, I, I think anybody without, you know, it's considerable experience and, and having been stress tested in, in the most hostile conditions, you can't risk that. You know, I'm really caught with the greatest respect to the other candidates, you know, who put up a fantastic performance. I'm afraid, as I I think it was Gordon Brown once said, there's no time for a novice. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, on that note, it's probably a good place to leave it then. But you can read all the latest on the Tory leadership race and the other big stories in Westminster at politicshome.com. And keep right up to date by subscribing to our seven-day-a-week newsletters by clicking on the link in the top right corner of the website. Thanks to my colleague, Eleanor Langford, and to our guests, Simon Hart and Greg Smith. Our editor was Laura Silver. Thank you all again for listening. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. If you want to get in touch, then reach out to us on Twitter at Politics Home or email us via news at politicshome.com. But for now, have a great weekend and be sure to listen again next week. I've been Alan Tolhurst and this has been The Rundown.